Welcome wherever you are listening from. This is David Liggett with Data Center Hawk, and this is our fourth podcast. I know that because we did some research. This is the fourth one we've done, and we're excited to uh, to be here this morning wherever you're listening from. Um, thank you for taking uh, time to hear what we are discussing. If you haven't joined our podcast before, um, our content is... Uh, I know this is going to surprise a lot of you uh, with Data Center Hawk, but our content is uh, heavily um, around the data center industry. So, uh, and uh, so we're going to talk about some different things today. What we've talked about in the past has been why companies, things like why companies are leasing data centers, which is uh, definitely something that we've seen change the market over the last several years. Uh, we've discussed uh, specifically how the data center industry has changed over the last 10 years. I personally have been in the data center business, which is, uh, you know, I think most people would agree it's changed dramatically. Uh, and today I'm excited because we actually have our first official guest uh, on our podcast content. content. So, uh, Rob Nash Bolden, we'd like to welcome you to the Data Center Hawk podcast. Thank you. You did welcome me. Yes. In the lobby, yes. personally, with coffee. So. That's right. So we take care, of our, we take care of our guests here. That so, was nice. Um, we're, we're really excited to, uh, to have you here. We're going to talk through um, so, some of your background in the space. You've been in the industry a long time. And so I want people to get a really good understanding of kind of your mindset, uh, your past experience, and how that impacts what you're doing today. And then we're also going to do something that we've never done before, which uh, I think will be really fun. And we're going to go through um, how how we believe and some other folks in the industry believe that data will change over the next 10 years. So I think this is fascinating because it impacts so many parts of the data center space, it, you know, the physical real estate that the, the uh, data actually resides in, the technology that uh, surrounds those facilities and th that information that's in that space, and then how the end user, the consumer, and how the business is utilizing that data to make decisions. So I think, you know, that's the world we live in in different, in different uh, aspects. And so we're going to cover uh, an article that IDC wrote uh, kind of towards the end of, of 2017 called Data Age 2025, the Evolu Evolution of Data to Life Critical. So uh, it's actually a really interesting article. Article we both have read it and talked through it. So, yeah, um, excited. Uh, you are here for the Data Center Dynamics Conference, I think, which you're you're speaking on later today. And I'm trying to remember what you didn't tell me what you're speaking on, but what are you talking about later today? Oh, it's um, I have been engaged with Data Center Dynamics since about the end of 2015. Okay. We wrote a white paper in uh, in late 2016, early 2017 about edge. Okay, cool. So um, it, it was one of the early papers. Yeah. I, if I could write it again, I could add to it because yeah, sure. things have changed. Things have changed a bit, yeah. But, um, but it holds up pretty well, actually. And so we've been uh, engaged with DCD um, primarily with their focus days talking about yeah. edge. And will your, so your deal today will cover edge and maybe how it's changed over the last several years? Yeah, uh, okay. I, I just continue to evolve the, yeah. the white paper presentation yeah. and create um, try and make, create new and interesting content around the the existing and developing use cases yeah so talk about from the theoretical try to get it to the practical yeah so that people quit defining yeah. and talking about what it could be and <laughs> yeah. say things like autonomous vehicles a lot of times yeah. in a row sure. we try to break it into use cases that yeah. we think the the audience finds more applicable to maybe where their businesses yeah. are going. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that is one of the challenges is def 
you know, putting realistic frameworks around a lot of the uh, data center industry speak that is futuristic in thinking. And right. so I, I think that's, you know, makes a lot of sense. And if you can get from theoretical to practical, let's go. Is, I like it is not as easy as, as just talking about what could happen. Yes. Well, so you have been around the data center world for a long time. Um, you know, you're at Black & Meech today. So maybe give us a brief overview of, you know, what you're doing today there um, and how you're directly, you know, involved in the data center industry. So I work in the data center business unit for Black & Veatch. Okay. It's, it's one of our lines of business today. Um, as our power, our, our energy and power group, um, our water and water infrastructure groups, um, and our telecommunications groups, okay. Those exist in addition to another dozen business lines, maybe like data centers yeah. that um, are smaller or new and developing or niche, um, could be microgrids okay. or smart integrated infrastructure groups. It could be software yeah. through Atonics. Um, it could be investment or development, but but data centers. And, yeah. and my role is a business development role. Sure. So. Um, so I'm helping sell data center stuff at Black and Beach. Yeah, well, and it's when, when did that practice start? I know we, we talked about you you st starting over there several years ago, but when did the the actual practice itself start within the company? I joined a, about a year after the the business line um, came out of the growth accelerator as an okay. initiative. Yeah, so that seemed to spawn in about 15 and okay. uh, and I joined in 16. Okay, and it seems like it fits, you know, with all those other you know, lines of business, this really would fit within that well, I would imagine. It's a great natural extension yeah. of, of infrastructure, which is what Black & Veatch uh, does really, really well from engineering and constructing um, power, water, and telecommunications yeah. projects. Data centers is a natural fit. Yeah, we agree. Uh, you are, uh, so, so before Black & Veatch, kind of walk us through how you, you got to that role and kind of your history in the data center space industry. So prior to joining Black & Veatch, um, I had been uh, either president or managing director, running my own firm, uh, leading another firm, working in the acquisition yeah. space, um, some of the areas where you and I first got engaged. Yeah. Um, and, and prior to that, I worked in commercial real estate for a grocery chain. Um, I, I really found my way through uh, a company that was kind of maybe the the breakthrough opportunity for me career-wise was a company called Compel, okay. which was um, an, an infrastructure integrator yep. that was designing and building data centers, okay. of all things, in the late 90s. An electrical okay. contracting company that was um, wiring buildings with communications cabling uh -huh. that was then engineering and constructing data centers. Was that throughout that the was U.S.? My hook. Or uh, yeah, know. it was okay. primarily U.S. Okay. I mean, there were um, there were international projects, but okay. it was primarily U.S. And it was early internet. It was uh, putting in kiosks and point of sale systems for convenience stores, and that wiring package, or it could have been Earthlink yeah. or someone that was wiring call centers. It was early days, yeah. and um, that was really kind of the data center. Uh, impetus and, and where I got the bug to really work in that space. Yeah. Well, and if you think about, I mean, again, like early 2000s, I was in college, not to date myself or date you, but, uh, but I mean, that time period in the industry itself, and then obviously the fall off after the dot-com bust, 
Um, I think a lot, it's interesting because people I sit down with, a lot of the people that I sit down with that are now leading companies, I mean, that's where they learned a lot about the space. And it was almost like if you're, you're in the space before and you can kind of get through this time and understand how this type of not only real estate, but technology is going to change the world moving forward. Uh, you know, the opportunities down the road would be big. And, and I think that's proven to be true. I mean, a lot of this, like a lot of the CEOs we talk with, a lot of the folks that are leading sales side of companies, that's where they learned the business was during that time period. Yeah, everybody had a, a develop. If, if you're a leader of business today, your, your development happened um, in one of those market leading industries or market leading firms yes. that may or may not still be around. Yep. But where everybody cut their teeth yes. and were great places to learn. Yep. And I think that's I think that's true. When you look at the industry today and who's out there yep. making it happen, um, they've changed the the business card a few times and learned from those other places yeah. that they've worked. Um, that's same for you. Yeah, yeah you bet. Uh, so you know when you think about so so one thing I I told you before this I, I was looking through your background. And you had a pretty long stint uh, or pretty long period with a company that you basically started in high school or maybe in college doing some different things for, basically worked your way up to a, a significant position and then ended up kind of going into the data center industry. But talk about that for a second because I, I love the data center stuff that we talk about. It's great and it's interesting to our to our listening audience. But I also like the the personal side of how people have really grown and learned and you know, what sticks out to them that were real differences. And, and one of the things that I saw you write about was just some of the things that you did that I think, you know, um, teach a person about hard work, you know, teach a person at a younger age about, hey, if you want to, uh, you know, get somewhere, if you want to take steps, you got to work hard. So talk about that experience and, and what that was like. Digging ditches. Come on, let's go. Well, the, the calluses are gone, but the scars are, are still probably there. <laughs> Well, um, I worked at Fry's Food Stores for 18 years, okay. and uh, and I did start out bagging groceries in high school, um, working weekends, yep. and making three dollars and thirty-five cents an hour for minimum wage in 1982, and it was fantastic. And I worked there almost right up till 2000 when um, when I moved into the technology industry. Yeah. So, yeah, I. I Bag groceries in high school. I mopped floors and picked up boxes yep. um, and worked at the customer service counter, sold lottery tickets and money orders and told people what aisle ketchup was on. And, yeah. and uh, it was aisle 10 on the left, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's probably still there. Note that, everyone. So and, you can go um, get some ketchup. And worked my way through. We, we developed the first point of sale systems and electronic okay. bookkeeping systems. So I became the PC coordinator in the corporate office. Um, I worked in accounting and finance. Then later was recruited by the vice president of real estate who was looking for someone to assist him in developing commercial shopping center, um, property management, and, uh, and financial analysis. A lot of pro forma around would a store work in yep. a location and when would it work from a financial standpoint. And yep. then we learned how to assess um, a land bank and acquire commercial sites yeah. and then build grocery stores and sell off the shops and pads. Yeah. So it was um, it was fantastic. And I had a mentor, one of the great mentors of my career, um, a guy named Terry Marshall, who took me under his wing and taught yep. me his business. 
I had a little desk in the corner of his office. Oh, yeah. So sometimes when he had an important meeting, I had to leave. Sometimes I got to stay. <laughs> sometimes I had to leave. But I didn't have a desk. I had a table yep. um, in the corner of Terry's yep. office. But what a great place to learn. Yeah, so what was, a bit, you know, when you think back about that experience, what was one of the biggest lessons or <clears throat> biggest, you know, leadership takeaways that you, you learned from that? He really what he taught me were um, a lot about relationships and people skills. Okay. I would watch the commercial real estate brokers, the developers and landowners, many of whom are still very prominent players in the in the real estate market today, especially yep. in Phoenix, where uh -huh. where this happened. Um, he had a way of talking to those folks that just made them feel important. Yeah, good listener. Yeah, great record keeping skills phone logs, filing systems, everything by yep. the book. But he had a program. He had a system, and it worked. And if you paid attention, you were you were going to learn a lot. Yeah. So it, it gives us all a great foundation, those of us who are fortunate to have a mentor. If yep. you're looking and listening, um, watching him conduct meetings, watching him in the real estate committee um, find a way to explain a, the possibilities of a location, mm -hmm. educate and build consensus. Yes, yeah, that's good. So it was fun. Yeah, that's good. I had a uh, out of college. I worked for. He's gonna love this. Yeah, a sports camp called Canacuck in Missouri, Canacuck. and so the guy. So it's a big sports camp. It sees you know around twenty thousand kids a summer. I mean, it's it's a, a massive organization, um, and the guy I got to work with was. Um, just he started the camp, ran a um, guy named Joe White, just just huge mentor for me. Yeah. The two things, and I actually was with him this weekend for a little bit and, and had dinner with him on Saturday night and, and had a conversation around this. But the two things that I feel like he taught me, one was, um, you know, he was the hardest worker I've you know, ever seen. And he would even probably tell you to a fault sometimes. I mean, he just, you know, his mind goes and it doesn't stop. And uh, but he was such a hard worker. And, um, and then the second thing that he taught me that I thought was so good was he made, you know, their, their organization during the summer is gigantic because they hire all these college students to come in, run things. So it's like around you know, two to 3,000 college students and then all the people that it takes to do that. During the year, it's a smaller group. But one thing he did that was so good is he made the people that you would look at in an organization and think were on the, the, the lower end of the totem pole he made them feel like they were an integral part of the company. And if they didn't do their job, you know, the company would fall apart. Wow, and he just had such a very good relational style that when you're in an organization like that or a culture like that, it's, it's um, you know, it, it, it totally changes. You know, people love coming to work. They don't dislike coming to work. They love what they do anyway. So that's team building before there was team. Building. Yeah, man. Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was really that's fun awesome. to um, get to connect with him. But I, I, your comment just about mentors in general, I think, you know, um, for younger professionals getting into this space, you know, there, there's some great people that you can learn from. And, you know, I think we have so a like, bit of an obligation to, to pay that forward as well. Having you received good mentorship, you bet. I, I if you get a chance, yeah. you know, you should. Give it back. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, okay, so tell me about, uh, you mentioned this, I believe, when you're talking about uh, where Black and Veatch is focused, and but but you all make, um, have some interesting comments on your website about smart cities and tying technologies together. Talk about uh, y'all's background in that and how you're approaching that today. Well, smart city is, um, is really infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So transportation systems, energy systems, and water systems connected 
so that real-time decision-making can take place yeah. to allocate resources wisely, efficiently. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yep. Public infrastructure, shared infrastructure, yep. is one of maybe the most obvious platforms for connected infrastructures. Mm -hmm. So smart city has to do with the things that we use every day and mm -hmm. don't even think about the, the lights, um, the building, air conditioning systems, and, and our transportation systems that really are connected infrastructure. So Black & Veatch has smart integrated infrastructure at its core. This is the foundation of the business. Mm -hmm. and, and then telecommunications and other layers, even like data centers, eventually kind of lay on top of that. Yeah, interesting. Uh, before we dive into this article, are you a sports fan? Yeah, big, big time. What, give me the uh, give me the sports that you follow and the teams you like to follow. Who are my teams? Yeah, man. Oh gosh, this is very um, this is very revealing. Great. It is. So um, so I grew up in Southern California. So I oh. I grew up loving the local teams, and it's still the case. I live in Arizona, so I love the local teams in okay. Arizona. Um, I'll watch a lot of games. Okay. Um, my, one of my favorite sports is still baseball, okay. which is not as popular today. Sure. But, I mean, shoot, I'll go to Birmingham, Alabama and go watch a Barons AA baseball game on 50-cent hot dog night because I love watching baseball. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it's that's great. great. Yeah. But, um, but so the Arizona sports teams, I, I, you know, I love the, the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals. Okay. Um, I, I follow the Suns and, okay. and used to yes. a little bit more. Yeah. Um, there and and the Coyotes. I I follow hockey a lot. I've got a kid that plays the sport. Interesting. And um, she's a ASU women's hockey um, goalie. So she goes to Arizona State, where her mom and I both went. Okay. And you know, love the kid, love the game. Yeah. So we watch a lot of hockey. Interesting. Yeah. So what is it like having a daughter that is playing goalie? And I just mean, what a interesting like position, different position than like your. You know, forwards and uh, uh, would it be forwards in hockey? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Do you is it? Would you? This is a dumb question. We can edit this out. But do you in hockey? Is it similar to the way like soccer would be? And I mean, like you've got forwards, midfielders. I guess you got really similar linesmen. Very similar. Okay, I'm getting some of the speak here. Or what lines. are the? Give me the. What are the things that you well, position? So the thing about goalie is it's you know it's it's um, it's a team sport. And the goalie is the last line of defense. Sure, it's incredibly stressful to oh. watch. Oh my gosh! Um, to think that if that piece of vulcanized rubber gets past your little girl, oh. um, everyone in the stands is going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, her mom and I both uh, oh gosh, that'd be tough. watch as patiently and and quietly as we can. Yeah, and, and we we just kind of say <gasps> oh, a bet. lot. Yeah, um, I bet. And she usually gets them, so yeah, it works out. Um, but it's hard. You can't really win the game. Yeah. It's tough for the goalie to win the game. Sure. But certainly it can go the other way. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Stress. Well, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I. Uh, so ASU is that Herm Edwards? Herm Edwards is the football okay. coach at Arizona are State. Yeah. Are you excited about that? Him he's, being? I think he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, we'll see when he gets some of his own recruits. Yes. That's always the trick. It yep. seems as though coaches can come in and win with other coaches' players sometimes. Yeah and have some good first-year success. They beat USC this weekend sure. uh, in California, so which you'll is take it. rare. Yeah, you Arizona bet. State cannot win a road game in California. Um, it's it's really will sort of be on their tombstone. Yeah. Uh, couldn't win <laughs> road games in California. Yeah. We're always fourth in the Pac-12. Yeah. 
Well, that's good stuff. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. And you know, I, I love just I think people hearing the backgrounds of people that we're talking to is always always good. And and um, before we dive into some more detailed data center industry stuff, so thanks for sharing that. Um, so I do want to talk about specifically this article that that I've mentioned, this white paper that I've mentioned um, that IDC put together, uh, talking about how data will grow over the next 10 years. And there's some really fascinating things that I found in here. I think it has implication to the data center industry, um, how people use technology, uh, both from a business and consumer perspective. So I want to read through some components of this. I think if you're listening, wherever you're listening from, you'll uh, and you're, you follow the data center industry, you will understand why this is, um, you know, impacting our space. But again, this is uh, the, the title of this article is Data Age 2025, The Evolution of Data to Life Critical. So, um, and it was an IDC paper towards the end of 2027 or uh, 2017. Okay, so imagine being awoken and tended to by a virtual personal assistant that advises you on what clothing from your wardrobe is best suited to the weather report and your schedule for the day or being transported by your self-driving car or perhaps you won't need to commute to an office at all as technology will allow you to conjure workspaces out of thin air using interactive services and holographic teleconferencing becomes the norm for communicating virtually with colleagues Weekends may involve browsing new furniture through an augmented reality app and seeing how a sofa looks in your living room before placing an order. As you relax on the new sofa, uh, Saturday, Saturday night's takeout will be a pizza made by a robot and delivered in record, record time by a drone. So let me stop there for a second. doesn't sound that great. The, the <laughs> pizza, robot, drone, like pizza? Yeah. That's the best we can come up with in this new digital age. Is yeah. So Pizza. is I guess my, so. This is obviously very forward thinking, um, but you know, is something like this a reality? And I mean, you know, and I, this kind of ties back to. I mean, you're talking about infrastructure being connected, but this is really you know showing how our our lives would be connected by technology. And there does there is a digital footprint to all of this stuff that has to be there for it to happen. Is this a reality? Sure. This um, that isn't really even very hard to imagine. Mm -hmm. as, as I was listening and reading, um, I thought this sounded like tomorrow rather than five or ten years mm -hmm. from now. This this seems imminent. Mm -hmm. um, did did you hear anything that you thought? Well, that that'll never happen. Um, uh, um, you know, no. I mean, some of the maybe the conjuring workspaces um, sure. from Minority Report kind yeah. of stuff. Maybe the but uh, in general, that all seems like stuff that's happening. Yeah. I mean, I think to an extent there is probably just personal preference on how people do certain things. But, um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that that's interesting, especially as you consider the age of people that are, you know, utilizing technology and how they, how they, uh, utilize it. You know, as we started data center Hawk, um, what we recognize is we're building a technology platform for people that are not necessarily on as, uh, focused on social media platforms uh, you know, they're on typically like the, the other side of the, um, you know, technology, I would say, uh, adoption curve. And so right. trying to figure out how do we create things that are easy enough to use, but also show a, a big enough benefit. And so I think some of that, you know, is probably a challenge within, uh, within this stuff. But, you know, to your point, I think there are some things in here that are already happening today. It, it, it seems, it does seem like imminent items. I'm like, yes. what, what's next? Yes. After that, how do you take from... Um, virtual sofa fitting or or wardrobe selection yes. and pizza delivery to 
um, to what can be beyond that. That that sounds those sounds like table stakes almost. Yeah, you bet. And what, so one thing you know when I when we started Data Center Hawk 2014, the data center industry had been growing pretty um, consistently. Uh, you know, the three or four years before that in 2015 to 2018, it really changed. Um, so there's just been remarkable growth in the data center industry, really housing, obviously, a lot of the uh, both cloud infrastructure and other enterprise infrastructure that's out there today. But this article is really interesting because IDC forecasts that by 2025, the global data sphere will grow uh, to 163 zettabytes. And so that's 10 times the 16.1 zettabytes of data generated in 2016. So let me just repeat that. They're saying today, or 2016, there were 16.1 zettabytes. By 2025, uh, so nine years, there will be 163 zettabytes, 10 times the growth of data being created, being stored. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that as far as just that amount of growth and how potentially that impacts the industry? I mean, yes, um, it seems incredibly likely that those, and probably those projections will be low. Mm-hmm. Um, as a couple things have to have to occur, um, and and will along the way. This is um, necessity as the mother of invention for this stuff, right? Sure. That um, terabyte class storage, um, flash storage, local storage will will exist. Yep. Um, when you look at where data is going to come from, and then you also have to think about the U.S. versus the world. Sure, um, we're we're here in Dallas. What's happening here um, versus what's going to happen everywhere? Um, it it seems like that kind of um, that kind of data growth is imminent. It also seems, and I subscribe to the theory of data gravity um, that the more data there is, the more services and applications that there are that are attracted to it. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a virtuous cycle because that creates more data, mm-hmm. which creates more attraction. Um, this may give some of the big cloud players a tremendous advantage or those that have important, valuable data um, are going to have a lot of gravity working in their favor. Sure. So um, that, that seems as though it's... Um, it's sort of imminent as well. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you think? Uh, yes. I mean, I think that the. Yes. I think the challenge is so much of the, and this is not with this paper, but so much of the, when you talk about the future, um, you know, it's it's really defining what is realistic, and I think that, um, you know, certainly by the IDC, I mean, they've got really good numbers behind their predictions of that that growth to be 10 times what it is today. Um, and so I think it makes sense given the way, at least if I look at the way the last, and I'm tying this specifically to the data center industry, but if I look at this, the way that that has grown over the last four years, um, it's no surprise to me that, you know, we're going to start growing exponentially beyond that. Um, and especially as you've seen some companies in the space do some things that they weren't doing four or five years ago that's really transformed the market, in my opinion. Um, the article uh, you know, identifies five key trends that intensify the role of data in changing our world. Um, so one of them I want to talk, or a couple of them I want to talk about. The first one is the evolution of data from business background to life critical, because I think this is driving a number of like interesting technologies that are, that are out there today. Uh, but they say once siloed, remote, inaccessible, and mostly underutilized, data has become essential to our society and our individual lives. 
Um, they say that by 2025, nearly 20% uh, of the data in the global data sphere will be critical to our daily lives and nearly 10% that will be hypercritical. So this, I think, ties back into some of the tying infrastructure together as well as tying technology together. Um, you know, that growing in importance, not just for consumers, but also for businesses. Are you seeing that with the, the people and the, the companies that you sit down with and talk to? Well, I think the it seems as though there's there's still a couple of schools of thought on on how that will go and, okay. and really defining what the paper calls the the critical data the yes. important data. There's going to be and there is um, a lot of data points and information being generated. Yes. And as this exponential growth occurs, uh, consensus is that it will be machine produced data yeah. rather than human produced right. data. Yeah. So. Um, the the Internet of Everything devices will be generating the data. The data curation portion of this is what's really interesting to me because what part of that data set is the important or as the white paper talks about the you know the life-changing or critical parts of it how how do you glean that from all of the system of data that's being generated how do you yes. get the good stuff yeah. and then what do you do with how do you curate the good stuff in using kind of a yes. museum terminology to, to make sure that it's um, not only conserved or curated for sharing, but then used for the betterment of lives yeah, that's good. or capitalized for business yeah. to be a, a financial advantage? And I think this mentions like that the businesses that will win are the ones that can determine what is the most important data. So number one, it's just determining What's most important to our business? What are the metrics we need to follow for our business? And then how will we actually change our business in response to those you know, items? And that's, I think that's one of the challenges with so much information. And we're in that world today. It's not just in you know, how much data is being created, but it's, it's how many articles you can read. It's how many white papers you can get your hands. It's, you know, there's just so much information. It is truly determining what information am I going to let really dictate the steps I take as a person as well as a business. And I think how will that, you use it? Yeah. How will you analyze it? What what frame of reference will you have? What lens will you look at yes. it with? Because if you use the wrong one, you'll just invariably interpret it. Uh, it won't be to your advantage. Yes. And so uh, another trend they talk about is regarding mobile and real-time data. Uh, the it talks about the data will need to be instantly available whenever and wherever anyone needs it and just ask my kids uh, on that one. But industries around the world are undergoing digital transformation motivated by these requirements. So they're saying by 2025, more than a quarter of data created in the global data sphere will be real-time in nature and real-time Internet of Things data, IoT data, will make up more than 95% of this. Machine-generated yeah. data. I so mean, mobile data has to be. The, the Wi-Fi networks aren't everywhere. Yep. Um, laptops and PCs aren't available to a lot of people in this world. We we have them. Some of yep. us have a bag full of them, but that's not <laughs> yeah. the case everywhere. Yep. Mobile networks make the most sense, and and all data that's going to be utilized, the stuff we're talking about using yep. to improve our lives, improve our business, um, it's going to be viewed through a mobile lens. Mobile networks have to be the link yep. from the edge back to the core. Sure and for us to be able to use it real time. You're, you're looking at it, I think the paper looks at it the right way. Mobile yeah, network growth um, has to be 
the vast, vast majority of where that's going to come from. Yeah, and not just, I, I think what's interesting too is is the international growth of that. And I'll give you a good example. Probably, you know, eight or nine years ago, um, you know, I was on a, a mission trip with several folks in Africa. And this stuck out to me as, as, as really interesting because we were in a, you know, uh, a challenging environment where people didn't have a lot, but most everybody there had a cell phone. Yeah. At a mobile, you know, they were they were connected, and so there's there's somewhere in here, and I don't I don't remember where it is that talks about how by 2025, 70 75 percent of the world's population will be, um, you know, connected uh, through you know some sort of uh, device, and I think that's you know that alone right there, and the exciting things, but also the challenges that that creates, um, you know, makes I think our industry really. Um, dynamic over the next several years. I think that's a, a really interesting case for a couple billion people on this planet who don't have bank accounts but might have access to a cell phone. Yeah. When you say the growth will come from mobile, yeah. it, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Where there isn't government trust, where there aren't systems yes. in place, we have credit cards, we have ways to sure. order things, buy things. Um, that just doesn't exist everywhere. Yeah that mobile growth is really, really hard to estimate. It could be a lot more than 10 yeah. times. No, I agree with that. This talks about, so the article highlights how the, really how the data center industry has changed and how companies are storing the data differently. It talks about before 1980, the data resided almost exclusively in purpose-built data centers by these companies themselves. Then if you look at like 1980 to 2000, uh, really with the rise of the personal computer, data centers evolved from, mere data containers to become centralized hubs that manages, managed and distributed data across a slow but developing network to end devices. And then it talks about we're in this third or, um, kind of era today, 2000 and beyond, where with the growth of wireless broad, broadband, faster networks, this encouraged data's movement into the cloud, um, decoupling data from specific physical devices and ushering in the era of accessing data from any screen. So data centers expanded into cloud infrastructure through things like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and other companies. And that's really where we are today. Virtualization, yes. mobile networks. Yes, I mean, yeah. that is, and, and that's really the growth, I feel like, that we've seen in the data center industry more than ever. So with your background with Edge, you know, get in, in your presentation later today. Give me a thought on how you see, you know, what's your takeaway on how you see that um, users and their the, the growth of this information or, or the, the data um, changing the way the edge operates in the next, you know, three to five years. So the the edge to me, and, and we talked about this last week at Edge Congress in uh -huh. Austin. Um, it, uh, Infrastructure Masons had a little, a little brainstorm session when we talked about uh, Edge Masons uh -huh. a little bit. Latency is, is the factor that we're solving for when it okay. comes to Edge. Sure, there a lot is written about networks. Um, a lot is written about mobile applications. What there isn't a lot written about is storage. Um, Again, I, I think flash memory and localized storage, um, mobile networks with the ability to to edge to edge or mobile to mobile communications uh, seems like the most efficient way mm -hmm. because latency is the solve. So it has to go from you to me without 
going anywhere else possibly, that would be the most effective way would be to, to be able to beam it um, to each other. Yeah. So I think that's what I think that's what's kind of cool about uh, the edge conversation. And um, and we try to to break break that down more to the practical applications and use cases and talk about what's um, what's happening with edge rather than what could happen with yeah, edge. Yeah, that's good. So it's fun. Well, it's, um, you know, it's definitely something I think that's on everybody's. I, I feel like I think we did, I think, Amber, we did some podcast or something where I said something like the edge is the new cloud. And I, my, my point in that was, you know, I feel like five years ago, we were all talking about how cloud will impact the market. And I think today, to an extent, you know, there's a big focus on edge and how that will transform the industry. Yeah, but you were right. I mean, edge is distributed cloud. Sure. So you, yeah, well, I appreciate you, you already that. nailed it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, I want to talk for a second about artificial intelligence. Uh, one thing this article does a very good job of is identifying you. We, I can't remember if, while we were uh, recording this or not, but you made a comment about like when people think of AI, they just talk about autonomous cars and how that will impact things. But there's obviously other business um, sectors and industry ver or verticals that are using AI to really change the way their businesses operate. This points out five of them that are really good. So I just thought I'd read each one and then get your take on how, um, you know, the companies that you all are working with potentially are using this as well. So, you know, one is specifically around the automotive industry. Driverless cars seen already on some city streets rely on real-time uh, data uh, to learn how to drive. Advances in these underlying cognitive systems will shorten the time needed to teach driverless cars how to drive. Insurance companies like AIG uh, have been using artificial uh, intelligence-based agents and virtual engineers to support live claims agents and increase productivity. Um, from a healthcare perspective, IBM's Watson Cognitive Platform is using tools like natural language processing and machine learning um, to help target and, uh, and solve individual individualized cancer treatments. Uh, from an entertainment perspective, uh, a more uh, uh, Disney's using face, facial. This is interesting. Facial recognition um, on uh, uh, different cruises that they're on, and so these are pictures that they play animated scenes when a passenger walks by. The system uses facial recognition to ensure that on subsequent visits, the passenger doesn't see the same scenario. So I thought that was, that was interesting. Uh, and then from a financial perspective, most credit card companies like MasterCard routinely use AI to help with fraud detection. Uh, this enables them to detect a fraudulent transaction in as little as 40 to 60 milliseconds. So the companies that you're working with, what's their take on AI? Are they, are these like s mature companies that are so far ahead of, of, of the rest? Or are you seeing like other uh, companies that might not be as big or have the technology budgets that some of these companies would to really be able to explore AI and how it can help their business. So for our business, a lot of the um, a lot of the initiatives are probably infrastructure related. Yep. And you're right, Disney and AIG are pretty good examples of robust um, Fortune 100s yep. that have access to tools yep. that that Black and Veatch and Data Center sure. Hawk might not. Sure. So that. Not that yet. gives them some advantage, um, certainly in terms of their ability to use AI. But you know, they're really paving the way for us, and I'm I'm glad for it because yeah. the rest of the businesses like our own will be able to take those lessons and apply them to our yeah. businesses and and look at them through our own lens. It's um, it's also 
interesting in what we sort of deem as AI um, because there's a pretty, to me, I think there's a pretty fine line between analytics and artificial intelligence. So mm -hmm. in the Disney example, um, if you said we're playing different videos to see who looks at sure. the video, who's, whose attention was captured, sure. um, that's, that's one data point. And then to say, well, if they like that, they'll love this. Sure. And, and let's not bore them with the same content over and over yeah. in a loop. Where's the line between analytics and just using that data to, to make better business decisions? And then where does the, where does the advertising or financial benefit come from mm -hmm. for, for AIG, um, maybe less claims reps, efficiency, more efficient, yep. better customer experience. Yep. Yep. Um, I had an accident, I hit an app, I take a picture, I submit a claim, um, efficiency, right? Yep. So customer experience, Disney, also very much about enriching the customer experience. Yes. That's where the tipping point is between analytics and, and analyzing yeah, that really data and then yeah. applying it yeah. and, and making use of it. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge that probably all, all companies face is identifying, uh, and it kind of ties back to what we said before, but identifying what this data really allows us to do and how, we, how it really helps our business. What's the impact? Um, I think there's a lot of companies that get into the, we just, we need more data and we need, you know, more information. And that sounds like cool. And, and we should be doing, these companies are doing this. We should be doing that. And I don't think that's always the best uh, decision just because it's, it can be overwhelming uh, if, if you don't have a really good plan with how you're going to use the information. You can wait just a little bit and stand on the shoulders of greatness and, and do just fine. Yeah, uh, that's good. You don't have to invent that wheel necessarily yeah. yourself. Uh, it's good. Okay, so the, the last thing I want to talk about with this article, which I think is re really good, is about how security with the information is changing, and our from a business perspective and from a consumer perspective, and how we view that. Uh, so, I just, and and I, I I wrote down some things, you know, from a financial perspective. Uh, from a business-to-business -business perspective, from consumer security, social media con uh, security, um, things like how does data impact government type of, of uh, elections, things like that. So yeah. I think I think this the way we're viewing this from a security perspective is changing. Here's what the article said, which I thought was really good. In 2015, enterprises created less then 30% uh, of data, while this figure will be nearly 60% in 2025. Uh, regardless of where the data is created, enterprises must face the challenge of managing more than 97% of the global data that's created. Uh, take the example of a user-generated content on social media. Here in a minute, we'll snap a picture. We'll you know put it on some social media platform. Although the individuals that upload the personal videos and photographs and then write text content, the social media site ultimately must store and manage the data on its infrastructure. So having access to and managing a growing amount of such personal data gives enterprises greater responsibility in managing privacy uh, and security risks. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, has your, and, and I'll ask you personally, I mean, has your thoughts on, I mean, think of how many passwords we have and, and the data that we put out there about ourselves. Uh, do you feel generally like that information is protected? Do you, are you like me when you think, 
there's probably a good chance that once or twice a year I'm going to get some note on my phone that my credit card is being used fraudulently. I've got to hit two that I didn't choose to buy, you know, a, a, a hundred light bulbs in Chicago today. And so, you know, I mean, and that's just my thought is that just it just happens today. That's, you know, and, I, and I'm OK with that. Um, I'm the analytics so, are helping, right? The predictive analytics there. You bet. Cause that fraud detection sure. to occur. The light bulbs were never bought. Yes. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Is that how you feel? Do you feel differently? I mean, because there's some people I think that would go, I would never put this on, you know, the, the, the web. I would never do this or that. What are your thoughts? I, I think there's, it's the hardest challenge um, that there's still a lot of good work that can be done with biometrics and other ways to authenticate user data. There's also a ton of default passwords. Um, the Uber that I rode in today had a little router in the back seat. And um, like, you know, the password on that router is admin. Yeah. The user ID is admin, the password's <laughs> admin. Yeah. It, it, that data is not passing over an encrypted network. Yep. Um, I also think that the tools that exist and that are being developed to, for, by government, by military, by utility, by business, yep. um, the bad guys have those tools too, yep. whoever the bad guys are, bad people that yeah. are, are nefarious individuals or companies that are formed to take advantage of that information, they have a financial model as well. And um, ransomware is real, yep. this stuff happens. So it is really hard. Cybersecurity is, and, and how we will protect that data, I, I'm just not sure I have a very good answer. Well, I, I feel like I maybe should just post my information. When we get done with the podcast, I'm just gonna post all my personal information on social media and Do get it. it over with. Do it. And it say, there'll be emerging businesses for that that will help manage your data breach. Sure. That, that's how business, that's somebody will starts. come to the rescue of this. Yeah, yeah. well, and and we'll end with this, but it, you know, it talks about, the, the article talks about that the percentage of data security um, will near, uh, I'm sorry, the percentage of data requiring security security will near 90% by 2025. And it talks about five different categories that the data falls into. You know, at the highest is lockdown, then confidential, then custodial, compliance-driven, and private. And then, it, and then the article highlights how each one of those, the security surrounding each one of those different types will grow over the next uh, 10 years. And so I think for me, you know, as we depend, so one of the guys I used to work with, who I know, Brant Burnett at yeah. CBRE, great yeah. guy, and I just uh, he's such a, uh, a great person to work with, and I, I think a lot of him. You know, one of the things he he said about eight years ago that I remember is, you know, he said, I've, I've looked through the Wall Street Journal today, and there's not one company I could find that's depending less on technology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I don't. No offense to Brand. I know he reads the Wall Street Journal. I don't know if he really looked through the whole thing. But his point was a good one, and that's, hey, companies are, are just exponentially depending more and more on technology. And as we as we put more with technology, and it's more and more important, the security around it, you know, increases. And I certainly don't think that is going to change anytime soon, even as the uh, economy, you know, uh, ebbs and flows and ups and downs. I, I still think that our the way companies and consumers value te uh, technology today and how it's changing their lives is something that will continue to increase. And it certainly feels like that. Um, I don't know if you would agree, but that's how it feels to me and at least the way we look at business today. I think it's, um, I think we're agreeing 100%. The, the, the fact that we're talking about this, um, that 
for lots of these IoT devices, sensor devices, the things that we just got yes. done talking about how we're going to rely on yep. and how the drone that brings our pizza um, is going to be part of a lifestyle yep. choice. The security around that is such a, an immature conversation today that it just it seems like that's where a lot of the work is going to have to be done. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how that will um, affect us, but that will be where um, lots and lots of opportunities. If I had a uh, an engineering student or someone who is IT inclined that was of school age, I yep. would say cybersecurity. Um, that's the business you ought to get in. Yeah. What uh, when you think about you know things moving forward, the industry and 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 your role in it, Black and Veach's role in it. What gets you excited about the next ten years? Well, I think that. Um, infrastructure is such a good platform for us. Mm -hmm. um, it's what I love and why I went to Black and Beach. The, the platform from an infrastructure perspective is, is fantastic. So the ability to serve not only what's happening in Dallas, but what's happening in the world from an infrastructure perspective, it's, it's pretty rewarding. Um, it feels good to know that you're developing projects that are helping people's lives yeah. and improving um, security, safety, and, and just giving people power and water. Um, there's a lot of things we, you know, we take for granted that not everybody has. Yeah. So it, it, it's a feel good kind of thing. And, sure. and we all like that. If yeah. Our, if our business is also, um, socially and personally fulfilling, sure. Um, it makes it a lot of fun to go to work. Heck yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for coming in and doing this. It's, it's awesome to hear your perspective and, and again, and yours. You're the first uh, person that we've done this with, so appreciate you uh, walking through it with us. And fantastic paper, I thank think you. that was a yeah. They a did great a very choice. yeah. They did a very good job, and thanks to them for putting this out there. I thought it was a really good look at how you know the growth of data will impact um, our both personal and you know business lives and the way companies use data. So if uh, this will be posted on our uh, obviously our podcast, which is found at and I'm going to do my best to remember this, both SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Boom. So, yeah, well, you can get our podcast in three different places. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube uh, as well as catch certain parts of it on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, you can follow Data Center Hawk or, or our, our profiles on there, and the content comes from that. Um, and we've got you know plenty of other stuff that's there as well regarding uh, data center industry growth, data center market, um, and how they're changing, uh, and then on our site, datacenterhawk.com. So wherever you are, thank you for listening today, and uh, we look forward to you joining us on the next one. Thanks. <laughs>